If there was a way to both create the tools and make the systems, whether it's your energy bill, your waste management company, if all of those pieces were magically uploaded into a cloud-based system and you were able to access your data at your fingertips, you'd be able to see where your biggest areas for opportunities for reductions lie and then be able to tackle it that way. But I think without that view into where your data lies, it's hard to understand how to make the best decisions. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi. I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Vice President of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo, and this is The Future of Work. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I am your host, Salvatrice Kumo. Today, we'll be focusing on the importance of pivoting to green technologies for both public and private agencies. We will also be diving into how policy should reflect the changes that need to happen in order to make sure that we are on the path to a sustainable future. With that being said, we are fortunate to welcome Jamie Knack, founder and president of Three Square Incorporated, an award-winning sustainability and environmental, social, and corporate governance consulting firm. Ms. Knack has an extensive background and has served as the director of sustainability for events such as the Global Climate Action Summit and the last four U.S. Democratic National Conventions from 2008 to 2020. She was named Environmental Conservator of the Year by the U.S. Small Business Administration and named a Young Global Leader by the World Economic Forum. Thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Nack. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for inviting me onto the show. I'm excited for the discussion. Great. Thank you. If you don't mind, let's just dive on in here. Let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> Very good. You know, our audience is always curious about what has led a professional to their point. And so I'd like to ask you if you can share with us what led you really on the path to working in environmental, social, and corporate governance. And why is this something that continues to be of interest to you? So my path was not an A to B path. There were a lot of twists and turns along the way. I would say that what I did then and what I continue to do is to follow my passion and follow areas that are important to me and areas that I'm interested in and impact and 
finding ways to positively impact the landscape around me has always been something I've been passionate about. So I studied international economics and then I minored in public policy and then I went back and got a master's in public policy. So at the time, I thought that policy might be the way that I would shape my impact. But at the time, you know, the field of sustainability, the sustainability word was not a buzzword back then. So it was early days. If I would have chosen a different path more aligned with what I do now, it would have probably shown up as like environmental science or engineering, those types of things. And I didn't really realize that this clean tech space or this corporate sustainability space would emerge and would be where I landed. But I'm super happy that I did. I ended up one of my first jobs right out of college, undergrad, was for the city of Santa Monica, where I live and where my office is today. And I worked in the community programs office as a program supervisor. So one of the programs that I ran was Coastal Cleanup Day, which was this massive 3,000 person beach cleanup in Santa Monica. And we worked with cultural groups and community groups all across Los Angeles, brought them to the beach. In some cases, some of the youth and older members had never even been to the beach before, and they only lived 30 minutes away, for example. So we helped educate and make those connections that, you know, when you throw something away inland, it goes in a storm drain and gets washed away out to the ocean and into our marine or beach environment. And so that kind of lit a spark for me around around the way to both educate and engage others around their environmental impact. And so made my way over to environmental consulting, worked my way up to a management level role within another environmental consulting firm that heavily focused on clean transportation. And I loved the work that we did there, but I wanted to expand. And so back in 2008, I went out on my own and launched Three Squares Inc. to be a corporate sustainability consulting firm. And at the time, there were very few competitors in the space in terms of marketing themselves as a a sustainability consulting firm. And so it was definitely more of a, a blue ocean to step into, but it's been an exciting 14 years ever since. Excellent. Thank you. And within your firm, have you seen industry collaborations push sustainability even further than individual companies or are you seeing it vice versa? Definitely. And I look at that as the sweet spot is when you can Mm -hmm. get companies that would normally look at each other as competitors and instead see each other as peers that can help in this journey together, be on the journey together. So for example, one of our clients is Universal Music Group in the music industry space. And so they are one of the top three majors. That's what they call them, the majors within the music industry. And it's been exciting to see the the other two majors, so Universal, Sony, and Warner come together and really lead their industry to form this music climate pact. And so instead of just saying, okay, let's each tackle this on our own in a silo, just in my own corporation, we can go farther and faster if we do it together. And so we've been supporting that work and it's been exciting to see both the music industry go this way. We've seen automotive. We're also working on a similar initiative in fashion and retail as well. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that there are certain sectors that are focusing more on this than other or have more of an interest in it than other areas? Or do you feel that it's really kind of across the board, it's showing up in its own way? I think within private industry, and thankfully due to the government's focus on this as well, on the policyscape side of things, we're seeing it across the board. So we're industry agnostic. We work with all different types of companies, all different sizes, all different industries. So Nike, Honda, Lamborghini, United Airlines, Microsoft, HP, Universal Music. You know, we cross from tech to fashion to automotive to airlines. So this is something that's being looked at as it's not a nice to have anymore. It's a must have. And regulation is pushing that way. But consumer demand is also also pushing that way as well too. So in order to meet the demands of your customers and your clients and the consumer who's buying your product, you need to show that you're walking the talk. 
Mm-hmm. I was thinking about when you were sharing those insights just now, I was thinking about are there current trends really kind of leading businesses and policy in this space? And so I just heard you say is it's not just policy, but it's the consumer as well. Is there anything in the pipeline as it relates to policy that we should be really taking a closer look at? Definitely. The UK and the EU is always a couple steps ahead of us when it comes to environmental legislation and regulation. It's always interesting to see what takes shape over there, because usually it ends up taking shape over here in the U.S. just a couple years later. So the EU has created something called the EU taxonomy, and the U.K. as well is following suit in terms of requiring the largest publicly listed companies to report on their both measuring their carbon footprint and showing that they have programs in place to manage and mitigate climate risk. And so just a couple of weeks ago, the SEC here in the U.S. announced a proposed ruling saying that we are also going to see that same type of requirement here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for large publicly listed companies to both measure their carbon footprint, track it, and then have a plan at the board and executive level to mitigate climate risk moving forward. A good example, I know that might have sounded you know, a little bit wonky, but a, an example that I'll share with you, it's a real life example in the UK, Land Rover Jaguar committed 500 million pounds to build a brand new diesel and gasoline engine factory in the UK. And that factory opened their doors May 2020. November 2020, UK announced legislation that in a couple of years, you'll no longer be able to sell diesel or gasoline powered vehicles, electric vehicles only. So had that board or that management team done this scenario analysis and climate risk and regulation risk assessment, they Mm -hmm. would have seen that in 500 million pounds in a diesel engine factory is not the best move, especially when it opens the same year that those products essentially are going to be outlawed in country. Right. The shift that we're seeing now more than ever for the obvious reasons, thinking about the trends within green technologies, what are we seeing there? Is there anything that speaks to you loudly when we think about the trends in green technologies? Any examples that you could potentially share? I would say the sexier or flashier ones tend to focus <laughs> around carbon removal and direct air carbon capture, those types of things. There's a, a fascinating project in Iceland. And I think part of the reason why there's so much focus on those technologies is this need to measure your footprint and then account for reducing your footprint. If you're pumping millions of tons of CO2 into the atmosphere and you can't figure out ways of reducing quickly, the next best thing is to invest in these technologies that then remove that carbon from the atmosphere. So I can see why they're popular. The challenge is that they are very capital intensive. So they're very expensive to stand up. They're very new. So there are no standards really focused on auditing or verifying that those tons are captured or removed. And so that's all coming down the pipeline. The focus on renewable energy, so solar, wind, geothermal, that has been a focus for the last, I would say, 10 years, which has been great. I would say the missing focus is on efficiency. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times on-site renewables, like putting solar panels on your roof or a wind turbine in a field might not make sense. You might not have that roof space or that field space, right? But Mm -hmm. if you can dial in through efficiency gains and use passive lighting and like all of my window blinds are open here, I don't have a selfie light on. This is just pure natural light, right? And so if you're able to find those efficiency gains throughout your operations, in some cases reduce more that way versus investing in heavy capital projects like on-site renewables. Are you seeing a shift or trends in how we prepare the new talent 
for these green technologies. You know, the our community colleges and just higher education, certainly we have a focus around sustainability and, and environmental programs, etc. But the only way that it will really work is staying true to the changes and the trends that are happening within the workforce so that we are truly preparing the new talent for these new green technology occupations. So is there anything that we need to change? I think as educators, as policymakers, as even industry leaders and thought leaders, is there anything that we need to change in order to prepare this new workforce into these green technologies? Definitely. I think part of it is just that this is such a new space. It is rapidly evolving that just to keep up, I read, you know, hundreds of articles every day. And I think it's important for those who are graduating or those who are seeking education in the space to make sure that what they are learning is current. So I was recently asked to speak to a group of board level executives that were taking an exec ed course on board management from a very popular Ivy League school. They asked me to do an hour on ESG. And I know you mentioned ESG earlier. It stands for Environment, Social and Governance. And that's the category or the set of criteria that has been developed that investors really look to to rate and measure how a company's doing across those three areas. Mm. And so I gave this hour long session to this group who was taking this board exec ed class. And the responses that I received later is that they learn more in that one hour session from someone like me who practices and works on this 10 hours a day every day with various clients than they did from the six week exec ed course that they took. And what I said to that was, I don't blame the professors because this is such a new and evolving space that unless you're really staying up to date, it is hard to be able to speak and give case studies just off the cuff as I do. But I do think that there is something to be said about the need for education to keep up with the pace of this evolving industry because we need people. There's a huge demand for trained people in this field. And what I would say is that every time we go out to hire, it's impossible to find anyone, even if they have a master's degree or a PhD, who actually has experience doing the work. And so I think the more that we can both in the classroom train and also provide that apprenticeship, internship experience so that students are graduating with case studies of their own to share, the better off they'll be to enter the workforce. Excellent. It kind of leads me to think about long-term fellowship approaches to work-based learning and makes me think about faculty externships. It makes me think about really how we reformat and re-examine our advisory committee participation, the way our curriculum is designed and how instruction is provided. And there's lots of room here, especially in an evolving, rapidly growing sector or economy like the green economy, where it changes daily. And I think that, and I'm sure you're seeing this now, is that you know we need to prepare our workforce for this evolving economy. But on the flip side of that token is really helping our businesses kind of shift and hold the same level of interest when it comes to sustainability to a really high standard. And how do we get that shift? How do we shift the business mindset? You know, it is costly. I'm assuming that when a business shifts their operations, their structure, just in general, how they conduct business and how they produce, there's a level of high cost involved in that. I think in the upfront, employee training, equipment, how do we get our businesses to hold the same high level of standard when it comes to sustainability, you know, other than saying like, how do we get them to pay attention? Mm -hmm. This is not going away and we need their help. 
There's a lot of upside there. And we just had a conversation actually with a client in New Zealand where we were conducting an ESG assessment there. And they were saying how, you know, they understand that ESG is important to the company. It's, they've been told that, but then decisions are made that aren't necessarily aligned. And he gave an example around work from home that they've okay. said that, you know, everyone needs to come back to the offices across all of their offices countrywide. And this individual said, I don't understand. We were more effective, had greater earnings during the period when they were in work from home and then I pointed out and the carbon savings from lack of employee commute every day to and from an office, lack of turning the lights on every day in your offices and the hauling waste and providing drinks and all of the things that they do in their offices, that all went away when they were in 100% work from home mode. So a lot of the business decisions, whether it's around energy efficiency and swapping out light bulbs and the new bulbs will last 10 plus years or these work from home or even taking a four day work week, having one day off and longer days, those types of decisions can have financial gains. They can have productivity and employee happiness and retention gains and then environmental gains. A lot of what we try to do is find the sweet spot where you can have the plus, plus, plus across all of those areas. We are a small business, so we're a certified small, certified women-owned business from day one. And we've also been a certified green business here in the city of Santa Monica. And what I would say is those types of programs like city and the state, California also has a green business network. Those programs offer resources for for free for the businesses that are going through this certification process. And it's a great resource. For example, in Santa Monica, when they come out to do the audit, they bring aerators for your faucets. They bring light bulb. They'll often bring those types of things, which is great. And it helps the small businesses as well. I was just thinking as you're speaking, do the businesses know what's possible? Do they know what are creative solutions within their space? I don't think so. I mean, I was just commenting similarly around with finances. I just drove down Main Street because we had a, a team lunch before we were here and it is called Main Street in Santa Monica. And I was noticing so many of the businesses closed during the COVID period. And it saddens me because I guarantee you they could have applied for PPP or other support mm -hmm. programs, which, you know, I went through that process as a small business owner, not only worked to figure it out, but then did some webinars for my alma mater, UCLA, and some other small business centers just to get the word out on the street so that it wasn't such a challenge to access that funding. But I think so many small business owners are so overwhelmed just, you know, keeping the train on the tracks that finding out all of these areas for new resources can be a challenge or overwhelming. It is. And I think to your point, there are many resources out there, but it's about how do we amplify really the resources that are there to share what is possible, not only from a business solutions perspective or through a business solutions lens, but also through an ESG lens. You know, what is possible? What can they do? How do we better inform our businesses so that internally they can think about, you mm -hmm. know, sustainability? What I would say is the local resources are usually the best because they're aligned with local policies and local rebates. So that's always fun, right? A lot of the local utility companies and city programs, whether it's related to landscaping or irrigation, water in California is a big one. The more that you can find what your local green business programs and resources are, the better, because then you'll figure out what rebates and what incentives you can apply for as a business owner. Right. Now I have to ask you this question and you don't have to answer it, but I'm really super curious is that if you had a magic wand on policy and how we get our businesses to rise up to the occasion and evolve, what would it be for you, Jamie? What do we need to see to see true impactful change? I would say it's something related to the pain point of data collection, because there's a saying, Peter Drucker, that you can't manage what you don't measure. 
right? And so a lot of the challenge is around that measurement component, both for large companies and small. So for the large companies, a big portion of their footprint is their supply chain, which can be medium to small size companies. For the medium to small size companies, they're being asked questionnaire after questionnaire to fill out information about their footprint and about what they're doing, but they don't have the data. And so I think if there was a way to both create the tools and make the systems, whether it's your energy bill, your waste management company, if all of those pieces were magically uploaded into a cloud-based system and you were able to access your data at your fingertips, you'd be able to see where your biggest areas for opportunities for reductions lie and then be able to tackle it that way. But I think without that view into where your data lies, it's hard to understand how to make the best decisions. I can see it really being complicated or overwhelming. And I know I've been focusing on environment and ESNG, the S part, the people part, which also includes Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, and inclusion is a very important part. And when I talk about data and the gaps there, that's a super interesting space because for different regulatory reasons in different countries, you might not always be legally allowed to ask about someone's gender, ethnicity, et cetera. And so because of that, the data is missing. And so when we want to have transparency around a workforce makeup or transparency around pay and pay equity, Mm -hmm. if you don't have that data, you have no way of knowing if you're doing well or if you're doing really poorly in terms of equity there. And so I wanted to flag that as well, because it's not just about environment. It's also about the social and then governance is around ethics and conflicts of interest and whistleblowing and board diversity. So there are lots of different areas here where the more you know, the more you're able to then Mm -hmm. unveil opportunities for really enhancing programs in those areas. Very true. And in the spirit really kind of of this future of work podcast, would that be your one thing that you would want our listeners to really understand is that this is not single-sided. There's multiple sides to what we're sharing here as it relates to ESG. Is that the one thing? And are there other conversations we need to be having that we're not hearing right now as it relates to the future of work in the space? The other point I would like to make is to think about how you can apply this ESG lens or call it impact lens Mm -hmm. to your spend. Mm -hmm. So every company has a profit and loss statement. You can see exactly where your money's going, whether it's on the people that you employ, and that's where we talk about the pay equity piece, or whether it's on your supply chain and buying products or paper or computers or all of the different things you need to do your business. And the more that you can apply this lens to your spend, the greater the impact you can have as a company. So it could be simple things like we work with a lot of companies that have a list of caterers that they book lunches and dinners and parties and those types of things from. And they had never even thought about whether those caterers are local, small businesses, women-owned business, minority-owned businesses. Are they serving sustainable Mm -hmm food and how are they serving it, right? So asking those Mm -hmm. questions and really thinking about how you can apply this impact lens over your spend is another way to start to think about it as a small business as well. That's an excellent start because oftentimes we find as small business owners, as employers in general, we don't feel the need to sometimes evolve or change or look at practices differently until it hits the pocketbook. I had never thought about it that way. And I really appreciate you saying that because it really is through that lens of the finances. And does it make sense? What are some small yet impactful measures we can make just by viewing our profit and loss statement? And even just before you go out and you're looking at your budget for next year and you're like, we always spend 5000 on or 10000 whatever it is on computers, let's say. Do you need to buy new equipment? 
The monitor that I'm looking at, your beautiful face on for this podcast is something that we purchased off of Nextdoor. So off of a neighbor in the community who was selling this yeah. beautiful Thunderbolt Apple monitor, which works really well as we plug it into our laptops and we're good to go. So, you know, we could have spent twice as much on a brand new monitor or we could keep this monitor out of the landfill, right? And so I think that's something to think about too, is this focus on always spending and buying new items. And I think the younger generations are really boosting up the Ebays of the world or the secondhand markets online of the world because they see the consumerism and where it's gotten us. And they're like, there's so much stuff out there that still has life in it. Why don't we just go ahead and support that and save money at the same time? I love that idea. This community-based platforms, marketplaces are true solutions to not only personal things, but business solutions as well. There's plenty of business solutions on those community marketplaces. As a business owner, you might not think that that's really a positive step into a solution in this greater issue that we're trying to solve. But these really these small yet impactful measures. I really appreciate the feedback. I appreciate the lens that you shared. That was my huge takeaway. This podcast is about future of work and developing new talent and upskilling existing talent. When you talked about the social part, I didn't touch on it today, but I'm really interested in what do we do with our existing workforce? How do we shift the mindset and the practices of our existing workforce that's spearheaded by the employer? However, what can the employee do differently to help the greater cause, right? That we may not have thought about. I think in the same way that oftentimes we hear about children or kids nudge the Mm. parents in a certain direction, like, mom, dad, you have to recycle that. What are you doing? You know, we've seen that the same thing happen with employees to employers. So employees Mm. usually are the first ones to say, we're not walking the talk. And I see that our lights are on all day long in the parking lot and it's light outside. Why do we have lights on in the parking lot? Like they're the ones who report and point these things out because they see it and it doesn't make sense to them. And so I think allowing them to have the agency to speak up and to come forward with ideas or to create green teams or green ambassador programs so that it also opens up the door for another leadership or professional development opportunity for those who are interested in the space. Again, it's a win-win-win because your employees are happy. They feel Mm -hmm. more involved. They go home and they have something to talk about and be proud about that they implemented at work and your company's able to reap the savings of not having the lights on all day in the garage. Sure. And they're solution-based. They are part of a solution team and part of a creative team, a think tank of sorts. And that leads to a whole nother conversation of just about engagement and, and employee purpose and why they're choosing to work in that space. But I'll tell you what, Jamie, this has been wonderful. I really, really appreciate the time that you've taken to share your thoughts around ESG and your firm and the trends that you're seeing. And I really look forward to seeing more of your work and I'll be following oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> <I'll be following laughs> And speaking of which, how and where is the best place to reach you that we can include in our show notes? Sure. So LinkedIn is my professional network. My door is open there. So Jamie Knack on LinkedIn. And then for the firm, Three Squares Inc. It's spelled out T-H-R-E-E-S-Q-U-A-R-E-S-I-N-C. At Three Squares Inc., you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We have a pretty active social media posting. And the other thing I would mention is it's such an exciting time to be in this space. There's so much 
much interest. Yeah. And like I said, it's moving quickly. So it, every day is a, a new and exciting day. But even the other fields that are developing at the same time, like crypto and NFTs, I get a call a mm-hmm. week about doing an environmental impact assessment on a crypto project or an NFT project. And so as technology is evolving, now they're realizing that there's an environmental footprint associated with it. And so it's something where it's not ignored anymore. It's actually surfaced as soon as these newer technologies are coming to life. And that's really exciting to see too. Absolutely. Well, that would be definitely another topic for uh, a podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jamie. Again, it's been a pleasure and I look forward to seeing more of you here in this space. So sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate, partner, or just chat about all things Future of Work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.